Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Darren Dworkin, CIO at Cedar sinai In this segment, we talk about the organization's long journey to move to a single patient, single record platform, how his team is working with companies like Epic and Apple to take patient engagement to the next level, and the new twist we're seeing when it comes to patient consent. This podcast is sponsored by Optum, solving real problems and creating practical solutions today using the latest in healthcare technology, such as blockchain, AI, and advanced analytics. See how Optum can make your digital transformation easier at optum.com CIO. Thank you so much, Darren, for taking some time to speak with Health System CIO today. You bet. It's my pleasure. Great. So... I know that most of our audience, if not all, is familiar with Cedar sinai uh, You're a nonprofit academic medical center um, in the Los Angeles area. Are you affiliated with any other health systems at this point? So like most health systems across the country, uh, we're experiencing lots of growth and pursuits of affiliations and partnerships. And right. so uh, we are our own entity as Cedar sinai Health System. And within that family is an array of ambulatory sites that we've affiliated with and brought into our various groups. And then most recently, we're super proud of the fact that Torrance Memorial in Torrance, California, has joined us uh, with an affiliation. Okay. And what is the uh, status for that? Is that something that has uh, officially come on board? Uh, It's officially come on board, past regulatory stuff and everything. And what, uh, what size of organization is that? It's uh, roughly a 450-bed facility. Okay, so this is a pretty big uh, initiative. It is. And it's uh, sort of characteristic of a lot of what's going on in the uh, greater L.A. area. Surprisingly, L.A. had been a largely unconsolidated region as compared to uh, other large urban areas around the United States. And so the same affiliation mania that has hit the rest of the country has finally found its way west. Right, right. Okay. As far as like this particular facility, is that something where Cedar Sign I was trying to meet a specific need or just like you said, just really try to kind of strengthen the entire organization? I think uh, a hallmark of Cedars has always been our strength and dedication to the community that we serve. And I think that uh, we have been on the lookout for uh, the partnerships that make the most sense. And what we found in Torrance was a high-quality, high-performance organization that truly is uh, serving its community. And so it made a ton of sense for us to figure out the right type of affiliation. I think some of it um, has some other practical benefits in uh, today's day and age. Size uh, seems to represent some monicum of safety. Um, and then as well um, offers us, for some of the more complex things we do, the ability to scale some of those initiatives as we continue to think about our larger strategic plans. Okay. So now in terms of EHR, Cedar sinai is, is on EPIC, and is that fully live in the hospital? Yes, it is. And I should say that uh, Cedar sinai Medical Center and most of our affiliates are on Epic, although Torrance is very happy with and uh, doing very well on Cerner. And there's absolutely no plans to change that. But uh, overall to Cedar sinai our approach has been sort of pursued many years ago. It was a familiar one. Uh, we called ourselves best of breed, which I think was a euphemism back then for we had a little bit of everything. And so we certainly 
had a little bit of everything. I think when we first started our core EMR journey, we might have had more than a dozen or so EMRs. Uh, of course, not all of them called themselves EMRs at the time, but uh, today when we look back, we certainly would qualify them as an EMR of some sort or another. And we've been on a journey for some time to amalgamate that over to a single patient, single record. We've had uh, a good deal of success that we've enjoyed around that. And, you know, I think the fun part uh, all these years later is that we're now getting to enjoy what some of the benefits really mean when you have this agile system installed and in place. Right, right. And I'm sure that really manifests in several different areas. It does. Okay. And is Cedar Sinai part of uh, Care Everywhere? We are uh, very proud uh, to have joined that network very early on, and we continue to participate uh, in working with Epic as a development partner and trying to push the envelope. I mm-hmm. think we were one of the first to go live with Happy Together, which is okay. the features that let patients uh, begin to self-direct how they want to share uh, information across their various patient portals. We were told uh, at this past Epic user group meeting that we were one of two that was the first to offer image sharing across the network. And so uh, we continue to just believe really strongly in the fact that um, we are trusted custodians of our patients' data, but we certainly don't own that data. And it is our uh, responsibility to make sure that is available to them wherever they are and to our patients, of course, uh, if they want to own that on their own. And so we have a number of initiatives around that. Right. And can you talk about some of those initiatives? Uh, One that was really exciting recently is uh, we were happy to be uh, one of the foundational members working with Apple, and we thought it was a very effective way to allow patients another option uh, in terms of how to get their uh, medical information. If they wanted to make it available to interconnect with physicians, that's been available uh, for some time. We have offered for a while patients' ability to download or get a copy of the record Uh, But the feedback that we most often got from patients was, I've downloaded my record, now what? Um, And so we were sort of intrigued at the idea that Apple was really interested in helping patients facilitate getting copies of their record and then uh, doing what, in our mind, we think Apple does best, which is sort of transform and translate that data into really sort of a consumer-centric tool, namely the Apple Health application, so they can begin to, uh, patients can begin to sort of see their information. And while it seems a little bit basic on this sort of first level, I think our assumptions uh, are that Apple will begin to create an ecosystem of applications that plug and play with Apple Health in a trusted and secure way so patients can not only have their information but then begin to make use of it uh, with the added benefit of some wonderful applications. Yeah, that, that seems like that could really be the step that I think a lot of people have been waiting for as far as patients and consumers really being able to become more engaged. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been interesting to us for a while. Because we've been on this journey for so long, I think that uh, we've been able to sort of witness the various stages. Um, an early stage, uh, frankly, was we would give ourselves high fives if we actually just figured out how to transport the data from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took us a number of years before we actually started to understand that just simply getting it from point A to point B doesn't mean that it's going to be used. I think that's one of the biggest untold advantages of the Care Everywhere network. It's not just the exchange. Frankly, I think care equality is probably a more basic level of those sort of train tracks moving information. Uh, What Care Everywhere was really able to do was to embed the information for clinicians at different sites of service 
in line with the workflow so that it got used and it got looked at. The parallel for us with the Apple work is that for years, patients said to us that they wanted their information, and so we began to find all sorts of ways to get it to them. Um, but it shouldn't be that surprising that getting patients an HTML copy of a CCDA is not uh, what they really had in mind. What they had more in mind was being able to, quote-unquote, download their medications and understand what they mean. And so being able to download uh, meds from a health record uh, that resides at Cedars-Sinai into a secure container like the Apple Health app and then be able to download another application of their choice that perhaps translates or explains those medications is really sort of the end goal that they've really been asking for. Right. One of the things you've touched on is that when you're talking about consumers and the need or want to have access to data, there's an education component that needs to happen. How do you think that can be or should be handled as far as letting consumers know this is what this app means and then how to use it? It's an interesting question, you know, and, and I think there's some pieces of that that we can take credit for as an industry and some, I would just say, we're sort of catching up behind. And so what I mean by that is that, look, uh, you know, the early days of personal health records, because we're talking a little bit about sort of themes that are similar to personal health records, um, it's not that they were that different, uh, but I think consumers weren't really ready to really sort of interact with their data in that way. I mean, I still remember for some of our early installs of CPOE, you know, we were uh, sort of drawing comparisons for physicians at the time that, hey, um, you know, you're doing most of your banking uh, electronically. It's only a matter of time before health records move to become electronic. Today, it sort of even sounds silly to talk about a banking environment that doesn't involve electronic transactions. And similarly so, um, it's hard to find a facility across the country that doesn't have some sort of EMR implementation. And so with patients, I think the reality is that they've just become more digitally minded, uh, more digitally facile in terms of using their information. And so a lot of the baseline education that used to fall on, on our health systems as responsibility for the most part, has gone away. I mean, we all have a story of a youngster that could sort of pick up an iPad and just intuitively knows what to do. I think that's a great example of um, just sort of as a society, we're becoming more comfortable with technology. And as that sort of spans different age segments, I think that piece is taking care of itself. For us, the part of the responsibility of education that we're taking rather seriously, and especially these days, is really trying to find the balance because we don't want to do it in a maternalistic way, but really sort of share with folks that, look, you need to be careful uh, when you ask us for the information, because once you have it, you are now your own custodian. And there's lots of people out there, uh, or maybe not lots, maybe that sounds too paranoid, but there's enough people out there that have uh, secondary use plans for that data that might be slightly nefarious or slightly more commercially minded than patients really understand. And I think it's important for folks to understand who they're consenting to have their data and what it means. We've been talking a lot internally that informed consent is not new in healthcare. It's been around for a very long time. We just normally talk about it in the context of, do you understand the surgical procedure you're agreeing to, or do you understand uh, this admission form that we're putting in front of you? I think the new or a new twist on informed consent is going to be, do you understand what it means when you take possession of this data and you ultimately uh, say okay 
to a third party to be able to get a copy of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.